Welcome to Insights with Sights, the Symphony of Scripture, a weekly podcast exploring the themes and contours of the weekly scripture readings. For more information about the podcast or to download the companion notes, please visit slash podcast We now join our host, the Reverend Dr. Christopher Seitz. On the face of it, the transition from the parable instruction of Jesus to the crowds, together with private tutorials for his disciples, the transition from this to the stilling of the sea in today's reading seems abrupt. The address of Jesus as teacher offers some help, but still means a very different classroom in a boat at sea. There is also a bit of transition, though subtly conveyed, in his announcement that they are leaving the crowds behind to go to the other side. If the implication of to the other side of the sea means where Gentile populations are prominent, then the reference to giving shelter to the birds of the air, as in the previous mustard seed teaching described it, would be pertinent. In Ezekiel's use of the phrase, as we saw last Sunday, recycled by Mark, the great cedar sheltered the nations, the Gentiles, described as birds, and so too the amazing mustard plant, with the same depiction of national security below God's mighty tree or mustard seed plant. But equally, we can see in both the instruction in parables and in the stormy sea, God at work behind the scenes, as it were, seed growing secretly, surprisingly tiny seed growing to grandeur, Jesus asleep but fully in charge, a kind of anti-Jonah, obedient and all in, Surprised at the fear, but competent to make the seas obey him. The sea is, of course, in the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, that force which seems to challenge God's dominion, but over which he rules. From the very moment of creation, the separating of the waters, through the great flood, And as the Psalms describe it, a powerful voice over the waters, day by day, minute by minute, enthroned above the flood. And as Jesus arising from his sleep, enthroned on the waters, peace, be still. Any number of Old Testament texts one might well imagine could be called upon to reinforce the point, but our selection from Job is a very good one. We find ourselves at the opening of the divine speech from the whirlwind in God's response to Job, which begins in chapter 38. 
For Job, though the speech is a fearsome thing, a stormy whirlwind thing, it is also a response to him, which silences his friends and moves past the subtle wisdom of Elihu, if that is the correct appraisal of the young man's contribution. Job will be converted in this encounter and enabled to return to his famous intercessory role as prayer hero prior to being healed of his bodily afflictions. And in this manner, we see Satan defeated, who had said that no one would serve God for naught, for nothing but God's own sake. Job does just that. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. And in our New Testament version, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? In the book of Job, God speaks from inside the windstorm. And Job is being girded up in his being addressed by God and being made privy to things God alone has seen. At the moment of creation where no man was, there Job is now made to glimpse through the eyes of God himself and see as God sees. Through God's sharing of those moments, those first moments of his life with what he is making, memories, and sharing them with our persevering hero. As when he said to the waves of chaos, now in Job's version, thus far you shall come, and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stopped. As God spoke and brought creation into orderly, obedient form, and as he shares that moment with Job, who was not there any more than any one of us was, so in Jesus God acts in like manner, peace be still, thus far you shall come, and no farther. Like Job, the disciples stand in awe. God, who neither slumbers nor sleeps, is sovereign over land and sea, over soil and over proud waves. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I am here, and even in crashing storms and taking my rest, I am in charge. Jesus rebukes the waves and shows that it is so. And faith is that endowment hard to summon up, which is all the same assured of secret growth, of deep roots in good soil, of tiny seeds being enough when God in Christ is Lord of the kingdom. The Psalm 107 with its snapshot at life for sailors on the sea, brings in dramatic chords to accompany Job and Mark. The psalm gives eloquent testimony to the palpable fear of sailors. The God who brings the terrifying storms is the same Lord to whom appeal is made with the power and authority to still those storms. 
God spoke and a stormy wind arose, which tossed high the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heavens and fell back to the depths. Their hearts melted because of their peril. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper and quieted the waves of the sea. Then were they glad because of the calm. What a perfect accompaniment to the gospel reading and God's divine word to Job provided for this Sunday. Paul's litany of hardships in his second letter to the Corinthians, born for the sake of the church there, also comes nicely alongside the hardship at sea. But for Paul, these testify to what empowerment in Christ has enabled in him in the midst of his service through great endurance, afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hungered. We are treated as dying and see we are alive, poor but having everything as having nothing yet possessing all things. What comes to mind is the promise of the parables of sure growth in deep roots that Paul is here referring to. The disciples get a taste of the power of God in the midst of hardship and of Jesus, captain of their boat. And Paul gives witness to just how strong this capable captaining is and what it allows in his ministry through all manner of hardship. And by this means he offers, as it were, shelter to the birds of the air in the church in Corinth. Open wide your hearts, he says. Join us in this rich soil with strong roots able to withstand storms and thorns and affliction. Finally then, track one continues the walk. We've been walking through 1 Samuel here offering two choices for the fifth Sunday after Pentecost, the well-known David and Goliath encounter. Talk about a battle for survival and a fearsome encounter with the world's mightiest and most dedicated warrior. And what does David say? Brushing off the warnings and the armor Saul offers to him. You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the Philistine army this very day to the birds of the air and to the wild animals of the earth so that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel and that all may know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle of the, is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. The bravado and fearlessness come across as unthinkable, a bridge too far, 
but in many ways they find their absolute fulfillment and accordance in the posture of Jesus himself before a deadly storm. Where is your faith? Peace, be still. Goliath, you are through. The victory of young David is fully plausible, striking the giant with his sling, since it's simply not what the giant thought fighting entailed. So he is doomed with one stone hurled from out of hand-to-hand fighting range. The psalm sums it up. You never forsake those who fear you, O Lord, and the ungodly have fallen in to a pit they themselves have dug. The wicked are trapped in the works of their own hands. Rise up, O Lord, let them be judged before you. The alternative reading comes from a bit later in this same 17th chapter and is for this Sunday provided without any explanation. Is the Goliath story too well known or deemed now too violent, even in its raucous telling? Or does track one admit of more than one selection given that it has just too much good material to work with? Well, here we have a David accepting now the vesture, not of Saul, but of Jonathan, Saul's son, where Saul's armor he left to that erstwhile king. David will not find in Jonathan the obvious rival as claimant to the throne, but a comrade and ally. Sadly, here we begin to see the paranoia and mood swings of Saul as he realizes here in David is his replacement and not his son Jonathan. Evil spirit, fear, envy, even awe begin to invade by strokes are rejected and yet still King Saul. Now we will have to see how David chooses to react. His loyalty to Jonathan gives us a clue. It will not be his instinct as we follow it now through the end of 1 Samuel to retaliate in kind, but will call forth from him the challenge of patience and respect before God's anointed. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and how very hard. It must come as a gift from God, and when it does come, responded to with psalms of thanksgiving. We hope you enjoyed Insights with Sights, the symphony of scripture. For archived episodes and notes, please visit www.wickliffcollege.ca slash podcast. Thank you, and we hope you tune in again. This podcast is a ministry of Wycliffe College at the University of Toronto.